So Max, it's good to have you here today and uh, we hope that uh, we can have some time to just you know, unpack the journey that you've taken so far as a student athlete, as a high performance uh, swimmer. Yeah. Um, I know it's uh, been quite a long journey so far for you. Um, and so why don't we start from the beginning? You know, how, did, how did you get started uh, in swimming? Maybe you can just share that first. Um, I started swimming when I was five. My parents just wanted me to learn swimming uh, so that I don't drown in the pool. And when I started uh, to learn how to swim, I was under um, my first coach and he actually saw potential in me. Like after a few training, of course. And from there, from there onwards, I started um, to continue swimming and I got better. When you say potential, um, what, what happened? What was it that struck the coach as potential? Or what struck you as uh, you know, potential? Um, I think I'm a very fast learner. So when I actually started swimming, I managed to um, improve a lot in such a short period of time. And the coach um, was pretty happy with my performance. And from there, I started competitive swimming at a young age. Yeah, but of you... course not um, competitive, competitive. It's sure. just like, you know, racing your friends and things right. like that. Yeah. And w do you recall how you felt when you realized that, hey, I'm quite good at this. Do you recall when, how old you were? When it struck you that um, swimming was something you could do very well? I can't remember how old I was. But um, during competitions, I always felt like I, I can win. So that was what uh, struck me and it made me motivated to do even better so that I can be the best. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And when you started training more often, how, how often were you training at that young age? Do you recall? I, I can't give you an exact number, but it was once a day except weekends. So about okay. five times a week. Yeah. Okay. And, and what was life like as a young swimmer back then? No. Back then it was pretty easy, you know, you just uh, do sports for, for fun. Um, you enjoy training, the coaches uh, made training fun, something uh, enjoyable for you to do, like, you know, play underwater toys or what, just to get them and get it back up the water. So I think it was a pretty enjoyable journey when I was swimming at a young age. Okay. Then. So throughout primary school, would, would it be fair to say that it was uh, swimming training was fun? And yeah. You look forward to it? Yeah, um, training was fun. I looked forward to it. Uh, I made many friends from the club I was in. I was in a Chinese swimming club, a Singapore swimming club, and many of my friends uh, from there, even now, they are like my closer friends. Mm -hmm. So like they, I, built, I bond with them and just make lifelong friendships. Right. Yeah. And what was your parents' role uh, when it came to swimming during that phase of life? Uh, when I was younger, my dad was working, so he didn't really... Um, like in the middle of the day, he wouldn't see us. Like we wouldn't be able to see him, but he, at every practice, he would be there. So um, when I was training in Chinese swimming club, um, he would come, he would fetch uh, me to training in the morning 
and then I'll have my he'll fetch me to school and then I'll have my school come home and then um, my mom who is not working she would be the chauffeur in a sense mm. so she's she'll fetch us to fetch me to um, the club to train again and then my dad will come we'll go to Chinese swimming club to watch me swim right. and then we'll go back together and you say your dad would come for every training yeah. session in every, the every session he will be there every session to watch to watch me including the morning as well yeah. as the evening session yeah so, so he will wake up early okay to fetch us and then he will come in the evening to fetch us again so now you think back when you look back at that how did that strike you as a young child that your dad was there in the morning session as well as the evening session uh, he did that at the very start so it didn't um, it was something like normal to me but now that I think about it I I really appreciate like what he did for me because when I was younger it was like you know your dad should always be there for you and then like he was but looking uh, thinking about it now like I don't see a lot of athletes who have that um, luxury or like their parents going to see them swim every single day chauffeuring here chauffeuring them here and there so I think parents support is also a plays a cru crucial role in the child's performance right. and like the way he he lives like you know your parents are always there for you mm. um, they are there they are like one of your biggest supporting pillar so would what kind of conversations then would you have with your dad or your mom? You know, since your dad was there almost for every session. So uh, most of our conversations uh, were held in the car. Uh, we would talk about training and then he would ask how's my day at school. And little, little things like I used to talk about anything like cars, planes, uh, life in general whether there's any girl that I'm looking at. So, yeah, he's like a best friend to me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And again, you know, looking back now, all those conversations you had with your dad in the car, you know, how, how does it strike you? Um, it just makes me think that my dad is, um, like I said, the, one of the biggest supporting pillar in my life. And like, also a best friend, a mentor to me. Mm. So I'm very, I'm very grateful for his support, um, his love, and I wouldn't be where I am if not for him. Okay. Yeah. So primary school uh, period, you were coming up to uh, PSLE. Yeah. What were some of the conversations around you know the next phase of life? That, you know. PSLE is a major transition point. Yeah. And then after that, trying to choose a secondary school. Do you recall what conversations you had about where to go next, what to do next with either your you know, dad or your mom or anyone significant? Yeah, me and my parents, my, my dad and mom, we'll talk about just, um, they are actually very chill. So they wouldn't push uh, their kids very hard because like, if we want to pursue something, we would do it like by uh, 
we will do it ourselves. So they will encourage us to do well in studies and sports, but they wouldn't like force us to like, you know, you have to train hard, you have to study hard, you have to stay up and study and get your good grades. They are not like that. So um, all they did was to encourage me, like, you know, you get a good PSLE score, your swimming is good, you can go to um, whichever school you want. And when I was primary six, uh, primary five actually, I was already looking at the Singapore Sports School because I knew that it was uh, sort of the place for me because I really wanted to pursue sports and studies. Like At that time, people were thinking, if you do sports, you can't study. And I really wanted to prove them wrong. And sports school is just like the best place to be because I've heard of stories from um, other schools like I can't I would mention that um, they are very they're not very sport friendly even though they are at a competing at a high elite level their school just won't support their sports like they won't allow them to go for overseas competitions they won't allow them to go for even local competitions um, they wouldn't provide the the kit the, the kit um, makeup lessons for example if like you go for overseas trips um, sports school lecturers the teachers will um, give makeup lessons to make sure you're back on track um, make sure you understand everything they're very patient with you they will go the extra mile to make sure that um, you can catch up with your work but other schools not at all not at all so going back to your point at the start where you mentioned that you wanted to prove them wrong because you were saying that people said going to sports school would signify that you can't do well in studies and uh, and at a high level was that correct was that how I no, no, understood not, correctly? not, not no. sports school I'm talking about sports in general like if you're like, at uh, high, competing at high level means like you can't study I see okay yeah. sorry I misheard you okay yeah what people had that perception, is it? That yeah. If you're a very, very elite swimmer, yeah. you can't... Means you got no brain. <laughs> I see. Who was making those kinds of comments to you? Uh, like, those people who are actually, like, envy you, um, okay. are actually, like, a little bit jealous of you. So, like, oh. my competitors will tell me, like, um, hey, you can swim, but how your study is not I good, see. right? Yeah. Oh, so you're getting comments from your peers, is yeah. people your age group. Yeah, even um, parents do like um, talk among them, talk among themselves, like you know, uh, like oh, this kid actually cannot study and this and that. Like I've heard rumors, uh, but I can't really remember. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you had that impression that people were muttering yeah. behind your back that yeah, Max can swim, but can he study? Is it? Yeah. Not only me, like uh, those elite swimmers okay. in general. And, yeah. and how did that, did that make you feel when you started getting that impression people were making those comments about you? Um, Do you recall? Yeah, I recall. Like, to be honest, I don't really get um, people's words. I don't really let people's words get into my head. Mm. Like, I mean, okay, you want to say this. Um, you, you, you have every right to say it, but mm. I just be me. So, mm. um, I mean, you must have been, what, 10, 11 by then? Not like about. PSLE Okay, so even yeah. 12 years old yeah. when you had to deal with such comments? Yeah. Okay. I mean, so how did you deal with that, those comments? Were you dealing with them just by yourself or were you bouncing it off uh, No, even, even my parents anyone? talked about it to me. Like, okay. you know, uh, uh, they will mention uh, 
some people can do sports but cannot study then they will just encourage me you just try to balance your sports and studies mm. and don't think about what others uh, think about you you just do you and okay. from there I, I took their advice mm. I made sure that I will do everything to the best of my ability mm. what basically what I can do and it's been going pretty well so far. Okay. And then I also wanted to stop you there about, you know, you mentioned your parents encouraging you, um, not forcing you. I think yeah. that was the word you used. Um, so you experience your parents as generally just encouraging. Yeah. You know, um, how, how did that make you feel? Um, it makes me feel very loved. Like, you know, if parents force you, it just, sometimes it means that um, they want a little bit of pride also. They want like their child to be um, the best, like mm-hmm. so that they can break to their friends or like you know. But actually, all they want is the best for their child. Okay. Um, but the child must actually want it, want it themselves too. Like you can't force them, and then they actually do well, but they, they are not happy. Mm-hmm. If they are not happy, it's just like a torture. So yeah. they wanted you to yeah. want it. Yeah. And you experienced that as encouraging. Yeah. Okay. So you felt free to express how you felt about what you wanted to do? Yeah. Okay. So what did you tell them at primary six? Dad, mom, this is I this is what I would like to do. What what, what did you say to them? Um at that point in time I didn't really know what I want to do um in my career, but for swimming wise I told them like I wanna make sea games, I wanna be a winner. I want to make Asian Games and Olympic Games. And as usual, they were encouraging. They just say, uh, oh, do your best, see what you can do. Um, don't give up so easily. Um, Academics-wise, just um, do what you can. Um, try to, like, you know, get good grades. But if you can't, at least you try. Um, so, yeah, I just lived life trying to do what I could without forcing myself, of course. Hmm. So that turned out pretty well. Like I, my sports were doing well. My studies were doing well as we doing well too. Um, so then comes the decision point, right? You know, you do your uh, O level, uh, PSLE that year. Yeah. Uh, so how did the issue of sports school come up then? Um, I actually knew about sports school when I was primary five, like okay. I uh, mentioned just now, because I think they were recruiting in ah, a sense okay. so they offered me the one of their scholarships so i was very keen like you know i get to have a i get to do what i love sports mm. uh, swimming and studies what was your first reaction when you heard oh somebody wants to give me a swimming scholarship um at that point that was quite young so i didn't know exactly what it was i just know that all oh, this school wants me but at the same time many many other schools uh, tried to poach me like I shouldn't say also. Okay, oh, so they were also coming in yeah, and knocking, knocking on your door. Knocking and, on my door, uh, yes. Offering you... Because yeah. uh, when I was primary six, I actually am like one of the better swimmers. Okay. Like I can, I could get um, plenty of gold medals, um, okay. records and stuff. Okay. So like you said, everybody was knocking on my door. Um, my studies weren't too bad. Okay. So at that point in time, with uh, multiple offers, how, how did you feel as a 12-year-old with multiple offers? Do you recall? Mm, I felt overwhelmed because many of my friends were from 
those schools that actually want me. Mm. So like I had the thinking, I, I thought that uh, why don't I just go into that school and join my friends, have some good times. Mm. But at the same time, I thought about uh, my career. Like mm. if I go to that school, what will I what will I be like? Mm. And if I go to sports school, what will it be like? Mm. So I thought hard. I thought once, twice, thrice, and eventually um, came into a decision that I should um, pursue my dreams in sports school. If did you have conversations with your parents, and if you did uh, on this matter, yeah, what were the conversations like? Um, so from what I recall, was uh, my parents telling me that um, think about it hard about what you really want. Don't just go to the school because um, your friends are there. Um, they say that if you really want to pursue sports and studies, um, basically they encouraged me to go to sports school as well because they also knew that it was a place for me to balance my sports and mm. studies. Mm. There were other talks about mm. how people were, weren't able to balance and then they just dropped one, two, mm. sometimes even both. And then they just become nothing. So that was what I was afraid and mm. was one of the determining factor mm. that made me join the sports school. So as a 12 year old, you're having these conversations with your parents, you know, you have multiple offers, yeah. you have to decide. So if you had to give a percentage, a rough percentage, how much of it was Max deciding and how much of it was, you know, your parents influencing the final decision? Just a rough assessment um, in your mind based on what you recall of that time, the decision to go to sports school? I would say we 60 from my parents, 40, eh, 60 from me, 40 from my parents. Okay. Yeah, because I was still deciding and then they encouraged me and then the talks that we had made me uh, more motivated to go to the place that is best for me because they, I think they kind of knew the place for me already, just that they won't say it because like I said, they shouldn't force. Like, if you really want to go to that particular school, go ahead, then it's your life. You you, you chose it, um, then you got to live it. Mm. So if you drop one of your sports or if you drop your studies or your sports, then it's your, you know, so you made that decision, you got to live with it. So your parents made it clear to you that you must decide it and you will bear the responsibility yes. of the decision. Yes. That's very clear in your head. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah. And how did that weight feel on your shoulders, on your 12 year old shoulders at that point in time? Uh, I was pretty young and like I didn't really have. Like, I was a little bit pressurizing at first, but once I thought about it, um, I was okay. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you go to a new environment. You get to make friends and uh, also stay in uh, school, boarding life. You get to make even more friends. So I was pretty cool with that and I really looked forward to, like, you know, um, the sports school life. So you make that decision, I'm going to sports school. And of course, after that, you will get to have to deal with the inevitable comments from maybe close friends or maybe even not so close friends yeah. about that particular decision. Yeah. What was it like? What did you have to deal with? Um, one of the comments, don't quote me, but like I sort of like, uh, it, it's something like sports school people can't study. Yeah, and I heard other people saying it. Mm. This was before you went in? 
Not even uh, even after I went in. Even after you went yeah, in, sports yeah. school people can't study. Okay, yeah. so how how did you react? Um, to me, I wasn't that affected because like I knew I could study, I knew I could do sports, and I'm gonna be better than you. Like, and I did prove them wrong. I was better than them, and. Um, as the years go by, sports school also um, focused a lot on their studies, which is which was why um, we have one of the top scorers also in IB in the IB program, mm -hmm. and yeah, we've been actually doing pretty damn well in our IB program. Mm -hmm. Not only that, the O level students, um, their their scores. Mm -hmm and the number of people who um, passed the exam were getting higher, getting better and better. Yeah, I'm just very proud of um, sports school student athletes and the uh, staff, um, the support we get from the school. So in your case, in terms of uh, balancing sports and studies, you know, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, in the case of the environment that you have at sports school, uh, how has it been for you? When you first went in, mm -hmm. what was the transition like? That's a major transition, of course. Yeah. When I first went in, it wasn't easy at all. Sure. Like, you know, it was my first time being away from home. Um, I had to stay in school. Uh, everything was in school. I ate in school, studied in school, and trained in school. So um, it was like a whole new life for me. Um, so the transition was not easy. The first few months um, was tough because of, you know, being away from home. But other than that... What was tough to deal with? When you say being away from home, what was it that you did not have that you had to get used to? I didn't have air conditioning. <laughs> uh, I didn't have air conditioning. I didn't have my mom's uh, cooking. Um, people, my parents to talk to, like in person. Um, basically, I was just exhausted from the day. You know, you didn't really want to like use your phone to like message your whoever, like your outside friends and stuff like that. So, I actually um, distanced myself a little bit from outside friends like mm. from clubs and stuff like that mm. but they're still friends just that not close mm. not that close anymore because you don't see them anymore yeah, on a daily I'm basis the, I'm in the sports school circle right. at that time um, so you might say you were a little bit homesick yeah definitely okay but after a while you get used to it um, took me maybe a couple of weeks maybe a few months Mm. Actually, no, I don't think that long. A couple of weeks. Mm. Yeah. Because I tend to adapt quite quickly. Mm. And I thought of the Singapore Sports School as like a, a, a villa, a village. Mm. Or, yeah, villa. Where you do everything there. Mm. Like, you know, you eat, you sleep, you play with your friends over there. So mm. everything you do is like. It's like a sports school family, basically, like your so, friends. So, what do you think you did that helped you cope? after the first few weeks, you know, with homesickness? Um, I just went with the flow and thought to myself that um, this will be my life the next couple of years. And after a while, it just got, it just got better. Like you, many people or a couple of people will think that, oh, it's not possible. Like, you know, I, I'm really homesick. Um, I miss my family. I miss uh, 
whatever. But eventually they will get they'll adapt to it and see sports school as something they uh something that they want to be in. Mm. Like no, this is the environment for me. Like I don't have to travel here and to and fro just to go just to get to school, just to get from home to training and stuff like that. So it's very convenient. So what in the environment you you felt was very helpful? So number one, you mentioned you don't have to travel anymore. Yeah. So that saved you quite a bit yeah. of time. What what else was in the environment at sports school that you found particularly helpful for yourself as you transition as a you know twelve plus year old coming into boarding? Um, I would say two things. The first is the facilities, and second it will be uh, the supporting the the support from the staff ah. and the school, the coaches. Mm. Basically, all the stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah, the facilities. We have amazing facilities. Like, there's two Olympic-sized pools in the Singapore Sports School, and you don't even get that overseas. <laughs> like, I remember when I went to Japan for training. They were all short course meters. They were all 25 meter swimming pools, and the pool that I trained at was so horrible. It was like a bucket. Um, and I just when I came back to to the Singapore Sports School, I just felt like I'm so blessed to have this kind of facility. Um, yeah, and the second one, like I said just now, was the support from the staff. Mm. They are very encouraging as well. Mm. The coaches understand that um, it is not easy to balance your sports and studies. Um, they are encouraging. Mm. They make sure that um, you get enough rest. Recovery. Mm. You also think about your studies, like you know, you're exhausted from your studies, and they won't um, do too much to kill you. In a sense, they'll do what's necessary and basically uh, drive you towards your goal. So and, within that first year, when you were in sports school, who did you find yourself? Uh, talking to most of the time, coping with the transition? Um, I would say my friends okay. and my family because friends, you see them every time. So and when you say friends, you're talking about the friends you made in, sports in the school. academy specifically or just uh, sports Academy and classmates. Ah, okay. So, so both classmates as well as the academy. Yeah, they're all going through the same thing as you. So like, you know, you all get to uh, complain together, um, do things together, play together, and like once you know that or oh, someone you're not the only one. Everybody's going through this, mm. uh, so I think that's a that, that played a very big okay. role in helping me adapt to the sports school life. And when you say you talk to your friends, your classmates, your teammates, you are talking about these conversations. Where do they happen? Do they happen over meals or? in your break times when when do these conversations happen these conversations happen everywhere in sports school like can be in class <laughs> even while the lecturer is talking it can be doing meal times in the dining hall it can be at training or doing warm-up and stuff or even in the pool it can be like you know waiting for our parents to come on the friday evenings um, so it's everywhere. a collection of uh, small but meaningful conversations, yeah. short but meaningful here and yeah. there, little snatches. Yeah. 
Okay, all right. How difficult it was at the beginning, you know, what you had to get used to, mm. just so that people understand what life was like for you, you know, as a 13, 14 year old balancing sports and studies in the sports school context. When I first went into sports school, like, it wasn't an easy journey. At first, it was tough because um, I didn't train twice a day, every single day before, like almost every day. And at school, like secondary school, it's not easy as well. So, um, I struggled. But at the same time, I had a um, pillar of support from my friends and family. Um, they are also undergoing, they, un they went through the same thing as me. So I think uh, what helped me was, what helped me balance my sports and studies was um, the people around me, the staff um, that were encouraging. Yeah. So you were doing trainings twice a day for five days a week? Uh, almost. Almost. Yeah. Right. So maybe nine what, nine sessions nine, a week? Yeah. Okay. And then you had now more than four subjects. You suddenly now had uh, seven, right? Or eight? Second, Second one. one. How many subjects? I can't remember. Can't remember. Well, I know it's very different from right. uh, primary school. Mm -hmm. So, what was a typical day like for you? Maybe just to sketch it out, people mm. might understand it better. Yeah, so I had, I started, I will start training at about 6.30. Which then meant it, that you had to wake up at? Which meant that I had to wake up at about 6 hmm. to 6.10. That's in sports school. If not for sports school, I would have to wake <laughs> up at like 5.30 or something. Probably. And then like, you know, had to get ready, eat your breakfast. Make your own breakfast actually. Right. Like either your helper, your mom or your right. dad. And then you have to travel all the way to sports school. So, or to anywhere. So you woke up at 6, 6.10. And yeah. then you could still grab something to eat. Yeah. Okay. Like, I woke up at 6, 6, 10, uh, you know, wash up, which takes about like five minutes, pack your bags. Sometimes you pack your bag the day before and you just, you know, you just head to the dining hall, which is like a two minute walk away. Uh, there'll be food catered to you. Um, but obviously, we swimmers don't eat that much in the morning before morning practice because like, you know, you get some stomach issues. So maybe just like a couple of biscuits mm. or like bread or something like that. And then another one minute more, one minute walk and you're at the pool. <laughs> okay. So it's so convenient. Um, it saved a lot of traveling time. Okay. And I was just very happy with the environment that I was in. So training starts at 6.30 and how long would it go for? Um, it will end at about 8. Okay. And then we had to go, we will go for our second breakfast actually. Mm -hmm. So um, we will go get a shower, take about 15 to 20 minutes and then grab our breakfast, which is noodles, rice, mm. sometimes bread. There's like a big variety, so you get to choose. But then here comes the interesting part. After breakfast, we have to rush back to boarding, mm. put down our stuff, dry our clothes, dry our towel, mm. quickly take our school bags and rush all the way to uh, assembly. Ah. So that was a bit of a struggle for swimmers, actually, especially. And assembly starts at? At about 8.40 at that okay. time, I think. So it was super rushed. The swimmers were always late. <laughs> and we always get scolded. So those were the fun, the fun times actually, because like, you know, during that time, I 
like you would, you would think like it's very frustrating but now thinking about it it's so funny <laughs> like this is where we uh, create memories and stuff with our friends as well like you know now that I talk to my batchmates mm. from sports school they will be laugh- we will be laughing together th- uh, talking about um, how our life was like in sec- secondary one secondary two mm. yeah okay so 840 assembly then class will start at class will start at like 8.50 or 9 o'clock if I'm not wrong and then it will drag all the way to lunchtime. But in between, there'll be breaks, like in between lessons, like they will have uh, a mini break area where there, are, there were biscuits and stuff like that for the students mm. to eat because they know that, you know, the athletes in sports school are always hungry. Um, yeah, we don't get to eat in class, so the breaks really allow, allow us athletes to mm. keep our stomachs full mm. and allow us to... Um, and were you able to concentrate through class? Yes, of generally? course. I feel that being athletes, we um, are actually able to focus more in class because like, based on experience, when I wake up without doing any exercise, I'll be so fatigued, I'll be so tired. Okay. But if you wake up, you do a sport uh, like me swimming, I take a shower and I just feel refreshed, like okay. more refreshed than when I wake up at like, let's say nine o'clock, something like that. So the training, the morning training session actually set you up perfectly mentally for yeah. academics. For, yes, I, w- yeah. I would say so. Okay. But actually towards the end, then you'll feel the, the, the exhaustion. The yeah. Towards the end of the school day. Yeah. Like what, one something. I two. know after lunch, you know, you got that uh, ah. feeling that okay. oh, you're so tired and then you, have to, you still have another training session later on. So between lunch and, uh, so what time would lunch be? And what time would lunch, the next training be? Lunch would be 11.30, sometimes 12. Okay. So uh, we will have school all the way to about 1.30 or 1.55, I'm not wrong. Okay. And then we can rest in boarding so for a little while. About about two hours, two hours? Yes, okay. to rest. So Before your four o'clock session? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So swimmers, our training will start at four o'clock. So we usually take a nap um, before our training. And that nap is so important. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So and you then, always took a nap? Uh, most of the time, yes. Okay. Because like I was really... I took my recovery really seriously. Mm-hmm. I was one of the few who like will take naps and will sleep early at night. So... Oh. Like while other people would be like playing their phones and I stuff see. like that. So you did observe that you were one of the few that actually took a nap conscientiously yeah. all the time. Yeah. Okay. Swimmers will usually take a nap. I see. Yeah. Okay. And then training starts at four. You took a nap because you told yourself I have to recover, or you took a nap because you were really wiped out. <laughs> Both. <laughs> because if I don't take a night nap at that uh, four o'clock, then I would be way too tired for okay. the night. What's it called? The night assembly. The self-study. Self, self-study time, yes. Because we still have a self-study time allocated just for um, the athletes. Okay. Which, what time was that? 8 to 9.30? Okay. Yeah. So you took a nap. Training starts again at 4. And that will go on till? They'll go until about 6.30. Okay. 630. And then we the usual shower and then head to dinner. And then go back to boarding, grab our stuff, and go to the self, the supervised self study time. And when, what time would that be? The self, the self study time. Oh, eight, eight to nine thirty. 
eight to nine thirty. Yeah. So there will there will actually be um, resource teachers over there that will help you with your work if you got any questions. Right. So it's very very useful. Like um, when when I was uh, in early secondary school days, I had a lot of questions. I would always go to the resource teacher for help, mm. and they're always very supportive. And so you're saying if you don't take that nap between two and four. Yeah, the rest of the day will be wiped out. Yeah, I'll just be dead. <laughs> okay, okay. And so self study time all the way from eight to nine thirty. Then after that, what happens? And then after that, um, I will go back to boarding, uh, wash up, and sleep. <laughs> ah. yeah. But I know most of my friends they do. It. <laughs> They will go back, um, play games, maybe uh, run around the corridor. What time would you sleep? I would sleep. I'll try to sleep before 10 when I was okay. in secondary one and two. So same question, you slept before 10 because you're telling yourself, Max, you better go to sleep at 10 or Max, I am so wiped out, I'm going to sleep now. Uh, for me, I always looked at um, trying to achieve eight or more hours of sleep. So that was my okay. goal. Like I already had that in mind. It's not whether I'm tired or not, okay. I must sleep more than eight hours, like right. eight hours or more. So all this fun that's happening around you, the then distraction that, of it. Yeah, that was how actually, did it affect you? Yeah, that was actually very distracting because um, I don't think most people are like that. They will actually play games, make noises. So I was, and I'm a very light sleeper, okay. and I had quite a bit of troubles. Like there were, I made a few complaints and stuff like that. So, but after a while, you know, people they understand what you're, you're going through. Your training is so early in the morning, so. Okay. They, they are understanding mm. and they will keep their volumes low for me to sleep. What you just sketched out is, is obviously a very long day in some ways, yeah. very packed. Um, how did you react to it over time? You know, some, did you feel like, oh, it's so boring, or it's so tiring, is this, how am I going to do this again and again and again? Did any of those feelings come up? If at um, all? Definitely, I felt tired every day and I thought to myself and even my parents' words, my coaches' words were, um, if you want to be the best, you can't do what everybody else is doing. <laughs> so, and they won't do what you're doing. Basically, um, you're doing things that are different because obviously you don't want to be like them. You want to be better. So I think that was, yeah. Okay. So you got used to a certain uh, lifestyle, a certain way of living life as a student athlete. Um, I'm sure, uh, what were the first signs that this discipline was benefiting you? If you look back now, you know, what, what improvements did you see yourself having that became quite clear to you was because of the way you were living this life? It's basically my, my performance. Like okay. I did the same thing every day. Like you know, like I said, I was tired. But you know, like I said, um, if you want to be the best, you can't do what everybody is doing. And I followed that strictly, and I saw my my performance improved. Mm. Um, actually, leaps and bounds. Mm. Mm. So I was very excited. Mm. Uh, I made um, goals that are out of my league at that moment, like, you know, I, I wanted to be at Olympic Games, I wanted to be the winner in, at Asian Games, okay. or Sea Games, and things like that. So what was one major goal that you hit first? Um, the under-14 national record. Okay. 
uh, it was my first national record and I was so happy about it because I trained so hard. Mm. Um, I had to balance my sports and studies mm -hmm. and I still can like, you know, break the under 40 national record. And that actually spurred me on to break even more records. Mm. So um, from, from then onwards, I trained even harder. Yeah. So you break the record, it gives you encouragement. Yeah. Did it, but did it at the same time change people's expectations of you or did it change your own expectations of yourself? And if so, how did it change? For me, I didn't really have out external expectations because mm. um, I was already kind of improving. So like, you know, they would like expect me to improve, mm. which I did. So I wouldn't say it was an expectation, but rather self self-pressure your own yeah. expectations yeah <clears throat> so what was your expectation after you broke the uh, under 14 record my expectation was to continue doing what i'm doing or even better mm. so that i can continue improving yeah and what was the next milestone that you hit after you broke the under 14 record the next milestone was uh I don't remember. <laughs> what was the next significant uh, moment in your life? At the time, I was quite quiet. Okay. Like it took a couple of years okay. before I actually broke the national open record for the breaststroke event, okay. which was set by a pretty good swimmer. So, so let's talk about that period, you know, yeah. where it's pretty quiet. Okay? Yeah. I mean, when you say pretty quiet, two words, but those two words are describing a pretty long period yeah, of time right quite long yes a very long period of time and obviously when you go through a quiet period yeah. another word for it is maybe plateau mm. not improving what were your thoughts during that quiet period of your life um the quiet period was <laughs> nothing that much actually okay that's fine. It's, it's not uh I didn't do any big achievements as in like, you know, Sea Games or Asian Games because I was a bit too young at that moment. Yeah. I was actually trying for the 2017 Sea Games. Yeah, but I just missed. Okay. Um, but at that quiet point in time, I was already competing at overseas competitions like those uh, youth one, like mm. Asian school games, uh, ASEAN youth games, um, common... Eh, international school games mm. so i wouldn't say i i say quiet because like i didn't have any like you know wow sure. it's just i was still improving right it's it's just that so what kept you going i guess that's the question i also have uh, when you go through a fairly quiet period you know, what keeps you doing the same thing over and over again what kept me going just you know, the encouragement from uh, coaches, my uh, pressure from myself, mm. my friends. Basically, they all want me to do well. I want myself to do well as well. Okay. So that's what kept me going. Like, you always have a goal in mind. I think that's very important because if you have no end goal, you have no um, long-term, short-term goals. So what was your goal that you had during that quiet period that you were shooting for? 
at that point, my goals were just to always hit my personal best because okay. um, to me, every step you take counts. Like even if it's a small step or a big step, it's, it will lead you closer to your end goal and that really got me going. So uh, during the quiet period, you were hitting personal bests? Yeah, like small ones. Okay, yeah. all right, but still a personal best. Yeah. But there was one time when I, where I hit a plateau, like, okay. you know, like I was stagnant for a little while. What is little while? Uh, maybe a couple of months, a couple of months, six to six months to about a year. Okay, that, I didn't, that can feel quite long. Yeah, and I actually felt like, oh, is this like the best I can do already? Okay, is it like the end of my career? Okay, is this the fastest I can go? So you were thinking those thoughts in your head. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So did um, you say it to anybody or you just kept them to yourself? I would talk to my parents and friends about it. Like mm -hmm. I say, oh, it's very tough. Yeah. Um, uh, training school every day, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. very dread, dreadful. Yeah. So, I mean, as usual, they encouraged me. My parents say that um, I know it's not easy, but you know, you're already at this level. Mm -hmm. Don't give up. Um, just do, do to the best of your ability and see where it goes. And then if you're, if it's really your best, then I mm. you can look for something else like to do. Okay. Yeah. So, so how, how did you respond to your the comments from your parents and? Like, I'll just friends. tell them. I'll just reply with a uh, okay, uh, because at that time I was quite. Uh, sad that I didn't improve because all this while I've been improving and then right. suddenly I trained so hard and That's then I didn't right. improve so I was sad I'll just say okay I'll do my best mm. I will at that time I was a little bit older because mm. you know when you're younger you know you just do the best you can then you improve yes. and then when you're older like you know there's pressure mm. there, there are other factors that will affect like recovery will get more and more important yeah. so at the age, I wasn't really sure how to do proper recovery, okay. like no stretches, um, mental health, um, my diet. Mm. So, so what was the first sign that you were, you were coming to the end of your plateau period? The first sign was basically me not improving. <laughs> no, at the end, how do you you know you spent a you said there was about six months to a yeah. year where you were plateauing, right? Yeah. What was the first indication you were coming out of that oh. flat zone? What happened? Um, at that point of the plateau, I felt like I was putting too much pressure on myself and like I was letting pressure get into me. Okay. Um, I felt that basically I was, how to say, like... You were telling yourself, you know, take a break, chill. Yeah, I I had, I had that in mind oh. as well, but I didn't because um, you know when you when you stop when you take uh, a break that's too long, mm. like you know your fitness drops okay. and stuff like that. But there were times where I had to take short breaks, like you know a few days, maybe maybe one week, to like um, set my mind straight again and get back on track. Mm. And I believe that that is very important because not everybody can. I, I believe that everybody will go uh, go through a time like that where they are just like you no know, boom right. you're in a in a ditch so like it's either you get back up or you just lie there okay. so 
But what you were saying is that you you told yourself, you took pressure off yourself, is it? You, yeah. You told yourself, don't get too hung up over the yeah. plateau. So um, basically, my competition, like I was so I was very, the competition that mm. uh, made me um, shot out of my plateau was a competition that I took it. Uh, I would say not too seriously. I see. I so you reframed your yeah expectations. Eh? Yeah, I I went into the meet um, thinking I'll just do my best, no okay. expectations. Okay. I just do what I like. I uh, eat what I like. <laughs> I see. Um, okay. Think what I want, just not negatively, of course. Okay. So I just went into the competition um, with a fun mindset. Okay. Like, you know, I'm just there to. Uh, meet friends, have mm. fun. It was in Adelaide, 2017, if I'm not wrong. Okay. Yeah, so I went there and I did my personal best by quite a big margin. For so the first time in 12 months, one year? There about 6 to 12 months. Okay. Yeah, so from there onwards... What was your reaction? I was so happy. Like, you know, like, I, I thought to myself, wow, if I actually... Um, go to every meet like that, it'll be so amazing. Like, you know, zero expectations and yet you still can win. You still can like um, top the competition and do uh, personal best. Um, and my ranking was one of the best in Singapore with that time. So that actually spurred me on to like, you know, um, catch up with my competitors at that point in time. And, and what that, year was that? 2017. Uh, December, December. November or December? So I wanted to catch up with my competitors and my goal was to be the best and break the national record. So suddenly, oh, not suddenly, you decided, you will reframe your expectations of how you go into a meet. Yeah. You change your expectations of yourself, you changed up your attitude, yeah. even your diet, uh, eat what you like, <laughs> have fun. Yeah. And then you hit a PB. Yeah. For the first time in a long while. Yeah. Okay. So I think that uh, if you're too, if you're feeling too controlled, you will be controlled. Like this is like your limit. But if you're not um, controlled, you're free, and then you can go anywhere you like. So that's how you felt. You that's were, how I felt. You were feeling. Like I was feeling like pressure, restricted, controlled. Restricted, um, yeah, basically restricted. Okay. And after that PB in uh, Adelaide at the end of 2017. Uh, what happened after that? What was the next major milestone? That you hit? The next major milestone was to make... Um, I broke the national record. Okay, tell <laughs> us about that. I I can't remember which year it was. T tell us the lead up to, to that. Number one, was it something that was clearly a goal? I, Max, will try to break the national record or was it some... Uh, was it framed in a, another way? Um, How did you go about that? What happened? So at the planning stage, there's a long-term and then there's a short-term goal. So that's like my end goal is to be the fastest in Singapore. And my short-term goal was to always break my personal best. That is a 100%. It's a must for me. If I don't, then you know there are other chances. Because at that point in time, I had many opportunities, overseas meets, uh, local meets. So. Um, my next milestone was making the Youth Olympic Games, which was in 2018. Yeah. Uh, I basically went into that meet with a similar mindset, just there to, um, of course, do my best, but at the same time, you know, make uh, friends because I was, I love making friends with overseas um, 
swimmers or athletes in general. So they have to have, uh, make friends, uh, experience different culture, um, bond together with your local teammates as well. So <clears throat> on my 200 meter breaststroke event, I, I, I did what I could and I made the finals. So I was very, very happy because like, you know, Youth Olympic Games, I'm a finalist. Yeah. I, I think I was second last if I'm not wrong. <laughs> so, uh, and that was a personal best by quite a lot as well, like one second plus, which was a lot. Um, but then I think I let a little bit loose in the finals <laughs> and then I just, I did, uh, I did one second, uh, best time plus one, but it was fine, okay. I guess. So you did your PB in the in the heats, heat. and then yeah. in the finals, like you know, I screwed up a little bit. <laughs> but I know, like I, like I said, I was there to like you know have fun. Right. Like I already made the finals. Okay. That um, was objective achieved or yeah. beyond your objective even. <laughs> yeah, so I was really very happy, and okay. like you know, uh, the youth meets are actually very interesting because the pressure is not as much. Talking about the Youth Olympic Games, you know, this is a privilege not everyone gets to have, you know, going to the Youth Olympic Games. Sim and partly because you have to be of a certain age to go yeah. to the Youth Olympic Games. Not everyone can go. Yeah. Um, now, even looking back four years later to be a Youth Olympian, how, what does it mean to you as an athlete? Making mm. the Youth Olympic Games make me feel like you know, it's, it's a good thing, but it's not the Olympics, it's youth. It's like the Olympics for 18 and under. And, you know, I thought to myself, it's good, but it's not the best. So um, my next uh, end goal will be to make the actual Olympic Games. But what it meant to me was, if I can get there, why can't I get to the real one? Okay. So that uh, motivated me to you know, continue training, doing sports, uh, keeping <clears throat> up with my studies and things like that. Okay. Yeah. So going to the Youth Olympics give you a, a, a taste for the yes the Summer Olympics. The yeah. So actually, really, yeah, I really wanted to make the 2020 Olympics. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, once you reach a certain level, it's way harder to improve. Like, you know, just... 0.01 second is really so difficult or 0.1 so um, I was still making improvements it just wasn't like leaps and bounds and like I understood that at being at that level it won't be easy for everybody um, but like I said small steps no matter how small mm. as long as it's an improvement I'll take it because mm. it will lead me closer and closer to my goal. Yeah. Small steps, no matter how small, yeah. is an improvement. Yeah. Okay. An improvement is an improvement. So um, if you are aiming higher, but then you don't make it, it's perfectly fine because it, it is uh, a step which is closer to your end goal. Yeah. So Max, one of the major decisions you had to make when you were in, uh, uh, when you were younger, was what happens after your O level year, right? Yeah. Uh, or in the case, in your case, do you take the through train 
to Polly. Can you uh, think back a little bit and you know, share the, the decision making that you had to go through around this topic? Mm, mine was actually quite complicated because I was in the express pathway. But um, in secondary four, I actually went to the IB route because like um, the school offered me um, the extended IB, which I could do in three years instead of two, three to four years instead of two, maximum four actually. So I considered that and I actually chose that because um, I would be able to, you know, swim for longer mm. period of time and like, you know, it won't be so stressful um, because it's basically spread out, like the IB program is spread it out. So I get to focus more on my sports. Um, how I got in, my results were not too bad so I managed to get in but when I was in secondary 4 doing the IB program which was completely new to me there were projects like uh, the IAs, math IAs, extended essays, uh, TOKs and I wasn't uh, used to it even though I actually got um, decent grades for it like I remember my extended essay I think I got an A or something and then my IA was also IA stands for? I can't, uh, internal assessment. Okay. Yeah. I also did pretty well. Okay. But I thought to myself, it is very stressful okay. being in the IB program. So the stress came from what specifically? The more hours needed? Yeah. It, because you obviously could cope with the material. Yeah. Right? You got an A. No, but that's for the only certain but certain parts. For AMATS, I didn't have any basic knowledge of it at all. So I struggled a lot with that. And it was one of the subjects that I had to do. Okay. Uh, my sciences were alright. I, I took physics and chemistry. Okay. Um, yeah. And I actually topped the physics class once before. <laughs> okay. So, but like I said, I thought to myself, it's very tough okay. because um, school doesn't end at 1.55 or 2. It ends just before training. So there's no rest in between at Just all. before training? Yeah, like sometimes even later. 3.30? Yeah, 3.45, 3.50. Okay. So I had to rush to boarding, put down my stuff and rush And what time would school start at that time? The usual, 9. 9? Nine. Nine. It would run all the way to 3.30? Yeah, run all the way to 3.30. Okay. So I, it was so stressful. I was... So your beloved two-hour break no more. for nap, <laughs> yeah. out the window. No, out the window. So that's where I thought, uh, if this continues, mm. I won't be able to like you know uh, pursue both. So so without that nap, that recovery period, what was the rest of the day like then, as you experienced it at that time? It was so, it's dreadful. Like you know, okay. the classes, um, everybody is so competitive like you know they want to do well in their sure. studies and you know you just feel like you're lacking behind because you know swimming is not an easy sport it's one of the hardest time consuming sports so like, you know my friends were able to study at night mm. um, they're able to study while basically you're doing your training so mm. they get, they're like they have a head start sure and then you're always lacking behind so sure. that was um, where I felt like and, I was you know and this feeling of being behind was a daily reminder. You had this feeling every day as you went to class. Yeah. 
I was lacking more and more and okay. more. So just accumulative <laughs> yeah. feeling. Yeah, because it's so fast paced in uh in Singapore in general. So uh, at the end of sec four, I thought um because there were different pathways yeah. for me as well, like the two train or to take the O levels mm. uh, to go to external school yep. I, can't, I can't remember what school but you know overseas or wherever mm. but I thought uh, I really want to pursue my sport and this okay. is not how it should be okay so and as you were having all these questions were you again having these questions only with yourself or with somebody else um, did you no, speak with, with the else? staff in sports school as well okay. as my parents my friends um, the staff um, they know that it's not easy mm. Uh, my parents, as usual, they were encouraging. Like they mm. say, if this is not uh, what you want, then go ahead. Um, you can change to the tutoring program or the O level program. Uh, my friends, they are also on the same in the same boat. Like you know, uh, some of them are express or mm. uh, NA, mm. and then they see me doing the IB program. They say uh, they understand that it's very stressful, mm. um, and that they will support my de- decision. Okay. So, eventually, I chose a two train program, the diploma in sports and leisure management, um, okay. so that I was able to balance my sports and studies mm. well. How hard was it to make that decision? Mm, it wasn't tough because I know I knew that IB will be harder. Okay. So I actually had to sit for an exam for the poly program because like you know the IV and the um, poly route has different expectations mm. I know the exam papers are different so I just took the exam paper and they told me if I get this score then I get to go in so I, I, I go and cause from IV and I had to do the the secondary the O level paper or whichever paper they took to, to get into poly mm. so I just I aced it and then I went in the poly so yeah I was pretty happy okay. um, to start uh, another journey in mm. a sense yeah okay so you finished your O level year in fact you didn't even yeah, I, I didn't have to take O level but it you was finished just, your sec 4 year yeah uh, having struggled through that uh, the IB uh, curriculum yeah but you took that paper at the end of the year yeah and you aced it to yeah. get into the poly program yeah because the poly program is collaborated with sports school so there's mm. Nian and there's Republic Poly Nian is like almost pure business but Republic Poly is like sports business sports mm. and business so I took that route because I wasn't 100% sure that I want to be uh, doing business my whole life okay so um, so what was the biggest change once you entered the uh, DSLM the, the RP program yeah. No, the biggest change is so huge. Okay. Um, the program, the program really is sport friendly. Um, when I went in, school starts at twelve, <laughs> ends at like four, so it's so different from secondary school days. It's like a whole new life. You get more rest. You get to train harder because like you got more energy. Mm, the schoolwork is not so taxing. Yeah, 12 to 4 is a very good um, and it's not 
we get work done. Like almost a whole day's work, worth of work. It's not like 12 to 4, it's only 4 hours of work. We actually get the same amount of work done as, or even more, than the actual Republic Poly students. Like they, they start school at like 9, mm. they end at 4 to 4.30. Mm. Ours is only 4 hours, so yep. the lecturer has to like, you know, chop chop. Yep. Um, you have to get a worksheet done, you have to study, you have to read up and everything. So ours is all squeezed into that four hours. Mm. And given that four hours, our results are actually, the RP SSP students, our results are actually like among the top in the whole of RP cohort. Okay. So doesn't mean you work for few hours means you won't be able to do it. Right? Yeah. So the quality that is the quality, yes, 100%. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So now you have a new uh, study schedule. Yeah. Um, how did that, in your estimation, how did that affect uh, your training? You already mentioned that you train harder. Um, so how, what was the knock-on effect of being in the poly program for you, um, as you have observed? One of the best thing about being in the RP SSP program is that um, they also provide makeup lessons. So the lecturers, if you miss lessons from, let's say this module to go for this competition or training camps actually. So they will actually provide makeup lessons once you come back. Like if you miss, at that time I was missing about two to three lessons. Uh, and when I came back, they would make sure that, they made sure that I understood everything before moving on to the next lesson. So I, I thought that was a very good um, thing for them to do. Mm. Um, and the schedule of RP was very different as well. It was Monday, Tuesday, one module. Wednesday, Thursday, another module. So I remember going for training camps that lasted for about two to three weeks. So two to three weeks, you would say that I miss because I have about four lessons per week. Mm. So I'll miss 12 lessons yeah. in three weeks, which is basically one whole module, mm. about 13 lessons. So the, the way that this was uh, created is basically three weeks, I miss six lessons and six lessons. Mm. So it's basically half of everything, yeah. But of course, I, I didn't take six lessons off. Like I took maximum four, four, three of module one and four of module two. That was the maximum I took. So how do they accommodate your not being around for three weeks? Um, firstly, we have to apply for leave of absence. Um, however long the training stint was. At the time, I went to Australia, Brisbane for training. Uh, the first time I went for about two weeks or two and a half weeks. Mm. Um, and then you'll get approved by sports school, mm -hmm. uh, no, Republic Poly. So if they say, okay, you can do this, you can go for your training stint, then I'll go for the training stint and then I'll miss the lessons. Uh, one lesson is actually a lot because as mm -hmm. I said, the 12 yeah. hours is all packed Correct. into one. So when, when I'm there, I can actually still assess the notes because okay. it's all uh, it's online. Yeah, it's online. So basically, I can read their notes and okay. stuff. I just can't be in class physically. Yeah. 
So yeah. And then when I I remember missing a few exams as well. Mm. The it's called end of semester exams. Right. And then when I come back, I have to take makeup exams, which okay. are actually harder than the the right. end of semester exams. So you can read the notes that you missed the lectures for. Yeah. But the, there's no makeup lesson for you when you come back. No makeup. You have just to figure yeah. it out on your own. No, no, there, there are makeup lessons. Oh, there are well. makeup yeah, lessons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So on top of being able to read the notes, when I come back, if I have any questions, mm -hmm. if I have anything to do, the lecturers will make sure that, you know, I get okay. what's needed. Okay. Um, to be back on track. Okay. And if you miss the end of term exam, then it'll just be a whole a different exam. Which like is, you say, which is usually, which is 99% of the times harder, according <laughs> to the lecturers. They'll tell you that, um, okay, be, before you go for your training stint, before you take the leave of absence, they'll tell you that um, you have to be prepared for the makeup exam because it's usually harder than the exam. So I'll be like, okay. Because like you know, I have to go for the training stint okay. to better okay. my sports. This is how this is where the balance come in. Like you know, you have to go for this give and take. Yeah. If I do sports, then you know my studies will be lacking behind a little bit, and then I have to catch up. Yeah. Catch up later on. So after I come back, they'll do makeup lessons, makeup exams, mm. and surprisingly, my makeup exams were pretty good. Okay. Yeah. I think I did about three or four makeup exams. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you are now in the poly program. Um, you have a timetable that supports harder training. Uh, if you have to go for overseas training camp, you get you can get a leave of absence, but that means you do makeup exams. Yeah. Or you get makeup lessons. You and sometimes the exams are harder, but okay, you 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 roll with it. Yeah. You, you cope quite well with it. You felt. Um, so turning your atten our attention now to the impact that had on your performance, uh, I think this was the period of time too that Sea Games was yes. coming up, right? Yeah. Uh, the twenty nineteen Sea Games was on your radar. Um, maybe you can uh, share with us you know, what were your were you shooting for, and, and what were the circumstances around the lead up to the Sea Games? So the lead up to the Sea Games qualifiers, I. As usual, class was from 12 to 4, normal um, school, normal trainings, as usual, hard, of course. Um, before my SEA Games qualifiers, I told my lecturers about it, like, I, I really want to make SEA Games and stuff like that. Mm. So they were encouraging. Um, they told me that if you need anything, can, you can just like contact them. Mm. If you need uh, any anything, you can just give them a call, things like that. Parents, as usual, were encouraging. Mm. They say, just do your best. If you make SEA Games, it'll be, a, it'll be a big thing for you. But if you don't, it's fine. As, mm. long as, you did, as long as you did your best. So that's what they always say. As long as you do your best. Um, and I really did what I could. Mm. And I made the SEA Games. So I was very, very excited. And this was in 2019 itself? Yeah. March 2019, around that period? Uh, when did you qualify for this year? I qualified, I think, in March. Okay. Or in... Latest in June. Okay. Yeah. So I qualified and... What were the expectations around you at that point in time? Do you recall? Um, Max, confirm, will qualify or... No. Not sure. It was a fight. Like, okay. I had to fight for a spot at the SEA Games because the previous SEA Games are missed by one spot mm. and by like, milliseconds. So I was very demoralized in a way. 
but also very motivated to make sure that that doesn't happen again. So during the training days, I trained as though I was racing that person. Mm. I was beating him every single time. Mm. So that on that day, on race day, it basically repeats what I've been rehearsing. I've been winning. I've mm. been... It's like I already made SEA Games. Mm. Mm. So on that day itself, my it was like self-pressure. Mm. I want to do it because right. I want to be part of the SEA Games team. But at the same time, there were external pressures from like, you know, uh, the school, friends, and then uh, I had spec scholarship as well mm-hmm. at that time. So, How did that yes. pressure manifest itself? Was it through people's comments? Was it through... They don't um, physically show the pressure, like, you know, you have to do this time, you have to do this time. But I knew at the back of my head that they were looking for something. So that was a pressure mm. for me. So it was and not it expressed was, out loud? It was not really expressed. But the coach kind of hinted to me, like, you know, if you, you must do well mm. and things like that. And at first, because that was one of the biggest meets and pressure mm. I had, so it was something new to me, I, I kind of let it affect me a little bit. But that was where NYSI came in. Um, there were psychologists, nutritionists, like, you know, mm. strength and conditioning, things like that to like calm me down. Mm. Uh, as usual, do your best. Um, how did you calm yourself down? How, how did you cope with the, the pressure, the expectations? Mm, with the help of NYSI, like the psychologist, mm. um, she, create, she created like goals for me to achieve. Mm. She created uh, she made ways for me to like, you know, improve my mental health. Like, let's say, like, if, there's, if there's too much pressure, try to shut them out and then mm-hmm. focus on what you're doing because if you let it affect you, it will basically affect your performance. Mm-hmm. So what was the pressure that was the most difficult to deal with in that lead up to qualifying? The pressure from the scholarship. Because if if I don't do well in a sense like they can just let's say like just take away the scholarship and things like that and also pressure for myself okay. because like I said the, the previous SEA Games I didn't make it so mm. I must make it this time right. and thankfully I did yeah okay you recall the feeling when you qualified yes of course it was what was the feeling it's like I made it I made uh, my short to mid-term goal because my long-term goal is still to um, qualify for other major games. So uh, the feeling was good. I felt like I accomplished what I was always looking forward to, um, what I didn't get in 2017. So that not only gave me motivation to continue swimming, it also gave me motivation to like, you know, win the games because when I qualified for the games, it was actually a podium finish in the previous SEA Games. Ah, okay. So that spurred me on to try to be a better um, individual in that in the event mm. uh, and to aim for the goal, right. basically. So suddenly you felt, after qualifying, you know that you have a podium chance. Yeah. Okay, so how did that set up 
the whole period before you went to the SEA Games? Mm, it actually was very pressurizing because like, you know, people, mm. newspaper came out like, you know, my time was uh, a gold medal in the previous SEA Games. And then people mm. were telling me, uh, it's time for you to get a gold medal. Okay. Uh, my parents also say that, um, that, you know, your time is a gold medal, it's very good. Mm. So you can do it and things like that. And so that, the pressure jacked up. Yeah, it jacked up a lot. Because even me, myself also, I want to get a gold medal. Um, but I know that it won't be easy. Mm. So the work that I put in was actually already very hard. And I knew that if I want to be better, I had to put in more work, which mm. was what pressured me also, because putting in work is never easy. So how did you deal with the jacked up expectations in that period? Um, leading up to the SEA Games? It was also NYSI's help because as like the psychologist will make sure that my mental health is always um, healthy and that I don't fall apart and things like that. So every time, if I ever do fall apart, there will always be somebody to you know, help me get back on track, which mm. was the psychologist at that point because there were times where I felt like, um, you know, there's too much pressure. Mm. Um, what if I don't do well? There's always the what if. So, when the what ifs were too hard to take, what what did you end up doing or not doing? Uh, firstly, I would speak to my coach about it because, like you know, I see him every session, so I'll tell him, uh, I have to do this, like you know, get a go, mm. do my personal best. Um, I feel very scared, nervous, mm. uh, afraid that I don't do well, mm. and then he will get the psychologist from NYSI to like, you know, give me a talk, um, improve my mental health and things like that. Mm -hmm. At that point in time, I felt like, you know, like the things they say, they were very encouraging. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it makes me feel like wanting to be a better individual with a good mental health. Yeah. So I took it seriously. I made sure that I blocked off all the distractions like mm. pressure so that I can focus on my goal. Mm. Yeah. What did you do differently? You Dif said you blocked off the pressure. Was it something just internal or was it also it's, external? That you it's did? in the mind. Okay. Because external wise, you can train for it. Mm. But mental, you can't like physically train for it. Okay. So I had to train uh, my thoughts Mm. And basically, what was different is the mindset. Mm. Like, going there with a purpose, but not too much pressure. Okay. Like, you know, you do the best of to your ability. Mm. And, okay. and that worked out well also. Okay. So, so you, get, uh, you get supported through this period. And then you get on the plane. You head to Philippines. Yeah. Right? Tell us uh, this last part. In Philippines, what happened? How it turned out? So, uh, in Philippines, the atmosphere was different. It was good because uh, there was a huge crowd. People from all over Southeast Asia were there. My friends that I met from many years ago was, were there. I managed to see them. Um, the experience was good in that way but because uh, it was also your first SEA Games right? yeah it was my first SEA Games also and 
um, people who I didn't meet at 2017, mm. they were all there and they all like encouraged me because like it was my first SEA Games yep. and they basically uh, welcomed me to right. the first you talking about your Singaporean teammates Singaporean teammates yeah. as well as uh, teammates from all over Southeast Asia oh, like Indonesia okay. Thailand okay. Vietnam yeah they were all encouraging and welcoming okay uh, did the expectation um, levels go up Stay the same or Actually, even go down? Actually, it did go up because up. Okay. like uh, meeting them reminds me of like, you know, because uh, some of them were my competitors yep. and then it reminded me of like, you know, I have to beat you, <laughs> I have to win you. And then yes. uh, competition wise... Remind us how old were you then when you got to the SEA Games? I think I was 18 years old. Okay. Yeah. So just past the youth yep. stage. So you're 18 plus, you get there, so you're surrounded by Even teammates, bigger people, uh, older. Older people, yeah. friendly, no doubt, they welcome you, yeah. but the expectations yeah. even went up even higher. Yeah. So how did you cope? Um, I told myself that uh, it is not easy to cope with uh, pressure and stuff like that. So. Um, what I did was to have, like, you know, tweak my mindset. Like, you mm. know, I, I'm here to get a goal. I'm here to uh, do my best time. Mm. I'm here to basically have a purpose. So what made, like, the change mindset was I'm here to do the best that I can. Mm. Not, if I get a goal, I get it. If okay. I don't, as long as I did my best. Right. So, so you frame it as doing your best. Yeah. Not okay. I shut out everything else. Okay. So the um, the day that was my important event, the 200 meter breaststroke. That's what that was what I did. Mm. Um, I went out pretty hard in the heats. Mm -hmm. I got I think first or second place in the heats, so that I got a better lane right. in the finals. And then finals, I did. What were you do doing between the heats and the finals? That period of time. That period of time, I just uh, made sure that I rest properly, recover well, because that's a very crucial time. It's the same day, right? Heats in the morning, yeah. finals yeah. in the evening. Yeah, okay. so it's a very crucial um, point in time where I had to make sure I get my recovery done, um, shut, out, shut out other distractions. Like At that point in time, I couldn't, I'm like, I had to shut out friends, I had to shut out uh, social media and things like that to focus on my finals because I I don't want to let pressure get to me. Like if I open my phone, get a gold medal, get a gold medal, uh, all the best and things like that. Like I appreciate that, but mm. you know, sometimes you have to like put them aside and then get mm. back to them later on. So that was what I did. So for that half a day, you had to make sure you were in a complete yeah. bubble of your own. Bubble of my own, totally. Like I'm the only person inside uh, or me and my thoughts so okay. make sure I did my recovery and it, the time passed pretty fast like it's not a finger it's finals so this is the day of the final you qualify during the heats and your final the heats are in the morning and the final is the eve, in the evening you have yeah. this time where you are by yourself in your own thoughts you have created you know a mental bubble you switched off all your devices yeah. What was going through your mind? Mm. 
what was going through my mind, I really wanted to win that event and potentially break the Sea Games record, which was not too far away. Mm, that was all on my mind actually. I wanted to win. I wanted to break the record. I wanted to win. I wanted to break the record. So <laughs> nothing else. Because if I let any distractions get to me, I know that it will affect me mm. emotionally and eventually physically. So snap of a finger, finals. Right. It's time for finals. So <clears throat> I did my usual routine, my warm-up, mm. uh, my stretching and things like that. And just got to the blocks ready. Mm. I what I had in mind was do the best that I can. Mm. But at the same time, I had a very positive mindset, which was, I'm going to get the goal. Mm. I'm going to do it. So... What were you aware of as you were on the pool deck, as you got on the blocks? What, what, were you remem what do you remember now? I remember that I was positive, like, I'm going to win. Mm. And even during the race, I, in my mind, it was, I am going to win. That, that was all that matters. I'm going to win. Pull harder, kick harder. Don't die, don't die, don't die. <laughs> but um, I actually went out uh, the harder, the fastest ever for my first 100 meters. Mm. And I was ahead of everybody. Even to the third lap, I was ahead. But the final lap was what killed me. Okay. So, <laughs> so I was... Take it from the final lap. You were ahead at the start of the ahead. final lap. Yeah. Okay, so remaining 50 meters. Remaining 50 meters, I think I, you know, went out too hard because I was too overconfident. Because I, I, I saw the corner of my eye, I was in front of everybody. Okay. So I was confident, I was feeling good. Even to the third 50, I was feeling not bad. But after the turn, it was so painful. Okay. I actually fatigued really fast. Mm. And even in my mind, I thought, um, I'm still going to win, I'm mm. going to win, I'm going to win. Even though I'm tired, it's only the last lap. Mm. Um, so I pull harder, kick harder, but it just didn't work out. Like, you know, sometimes you're pulling your hardest, mm. you're swimming your hardest, but then you're not moving. Right. So I slowed down quite a lot and my competitors caught up. Mm. But it wasn't... Yeah, from, so from first, I became third, okay. which, which was still a podium finish and a personal best, in mm. fact. So I was very, very... Um, what went through your mind? About it. What went through my mind? When I saw the scoreboard, uh, I see my, my name not, not first, not second, but third. Mm. I was happy, but at the same time disappointed because like, you know, all this while I've been wanting to get a gold medal, yeah. the record and stuff. Then in the end, two of them got a record. I didn't get anything. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I was a personal best. And like, I always tell myself, personal best is mm. a step closer to your go so i i took it well like even though i didn't win mm. it's still a bronze medal everybody was happy yeah what was the reaction from your closest uh, friends and family they were they were actually all in singapore so all i had was message messages from my phone and stuff like that and was i was very i felt like a superstar because everybody was in my dms everybody was in my whatsapp uh, wishing me um, congratulations. People were cheering on the mm. pool deck. I mean, I had the stands. Coaches, my coach was happy as well. Mm. Yeah. 
What was the most meaningful comment you got from that period? Do you recall? Uh, Something that really struck you, even after these these couple of years. Most meaningful comment. I would say that somebody from another nation, the person that got the gold medal, his friend told me to beat him next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was very interesting because um, like, you know, you, you're telling other people to like be your own teammate. So maybe he doesn't like him, I'm not so sure. <laughs> so that was another factor that spurred me on because I, mm. I feel like I could do it mm. and it's within my reach. Okay. Yeah. So even what two years now, right? It's been two years since the that Sea Games. No, three, three, three years yeah. now. It's the third year. Uh, two and a half years. What are your thoughts of that performance? That that medal. Mm, I felt that that was uh, a performance where I could learn from. <laughs> even though it was a best time, it was a bronze medal, a national record, in fact. Um, there are always things to improve on. Like it wasn't a perfect race, which was absolutely perfect because if it's not something perfect, it means that you can go faster. So where I mentioned that I fatigued was the last lap and that was where I needed to work on. Because if I know that if my last lap was as fast as my competitors, I would have won. I would have gotten the record. And training-wise, it got harder because I had training my back end, back end, back end speed, mm. which was one of the toughest yeah. um, thing to train. Like, you know, you have to get yourself tired before you can actually do something even harder, like long distance sets and mm. like, you know, aerobic threshold, um, things like that, anaerobic um, stuff. Okay. Yeah. So you've been introduced to a new level of pain. Yeah, new, whole new level of pain that was so painful. Okay. And up to now, I'm actually still doing it and trying to cope because okay. I'm not actually um, aerobically inclined. Okay, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, well, Max, thanks very much for you know, spending the last hour and a half or even slightly more yeah. um, unpacking your uh, journey so far as a student athlete. I think it's been uh, very illuminating and I think uh, a lot of the juniors not just in swimming and yeah. I think other sports would also uh, appreciate your very frank sharing yeah so thank you very much thank you thank you so much <laughs>